Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. The sermon title today is Waiting, Working, and Praying. Waiting on God, working for God, and praying to God. And so obviously the first point is going to be waiting. And we've all waited in lines through our life, starting at a young age, waited on the bus, waited on first one thing and another, and we're sort of trained and conditioned to be that way. We wait at grocery stores, we wait at McDonald's, who, by the way, made it so we would wait not only inside but outside. That started a long time ago. We waited at traffic lights, so waiting is part of our lives. It's just how it is. But really, it's against human nature. You know why that is? This is because it's hard. It's just hard. It's hard to wait a lot, a lot of times, but you know, <clears throat> you're, is it still a thing today uh, to where if they have this 20 or less items, 20 or fewer items to check out in line? Is that still a thing? Not really with self-checkout? Well, it used to be, all right? If you ever got behind somebody in one of those lines, somebody that had obviously way more than 20 <laughs> items, well, I, can, I have it on really good authority, I really do, that when you see, uh, when you get to the pearly gates and you see St. Peter, he's gonna send you to the end of the line now. He really will, and so don't cheat, don't cheat. But listen, waiting is a Bible word. It's, it's a Bible word. In the Bible, though, it often implies a different meaning than what we're used to. For instance, when you're at the doctor or the dentist, what do you typically do while you're waiting besides just dread it? Huh? You're on your phone, I bet. I am. You're on Facebook, you're on X or whatever it is, you're on Instagram, you're on whatever your preferred, or you're playing games, right? Man, I had a dental appointment, I gotta tell you, I had a dental appointment recently and I was sitting out there in the waiting room reevaluating my life choices at that moment because I knew what he was gonna do to me and boy did he do a number on me, I'm still recovering from it. And, and so waiting is, is just a hard thing. Well listen, nothing wrong with that, right? Nothing wrong with playing games on your phone. The point I'm trying to make, the point I wanna to get to here is, you know, waiting today, <clears throat> we're not really accomplishing anything, not really doing a stinking thing, but just putting it in park, idling, and waiting. But waiting in the Bible is not a, stop doing everything you're doing and wait. Right? That's really not what that means. It's an action word because, look at verse, let's read our text. Second <clears throat> Peter 3, chapter 10. Chapter 3, verse 10. Second Peter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, the elements will be burned and dissolved in the earth, and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, 
it's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. And because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat, but based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. In verse 14, and this is our focal passage today, therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. Waiting is an action word. Verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So, in verse 11, it's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. Verse 12, as you wait. As you wait. <clears throat> so waiting is a command. Psalms 37.7 tells us <clears throat> a command. 37.7 tells us to wait expectantly on the Lord. Now when we're young, the only analogy I could come up with for this is, is, um, is, is a birthday or Christmas, how we anticipate getting to our birthday, especially when we're young. I'm going to be I'm going to be 10 years old. I can't wait until I get to 10 years old. And the closer you get to your birthday or your Christmas, the more, or Christmas, the more excited you become and the more you anticipate it coming. So that's waiting, <clears throat> waiting um, the command. But look, time is short here on earth for us Christians, right? The Lord's coming back soon. And what it means is to pay attention. Pay attention. And for the Christian, it's a state of being, it's, it's who we're supposed to be as we wait on the Lord. It's a state of being. It's not just a casual thought, a passing thought every now and then. It's a state of being. Nothing in the Bible suggests that, well, I'm, I'm saved now so I can relax. I'm saved so I can relax. But guess what? You're supposed to say what? <laughs> well, <clears throat> we have responsibilities as a Christian. While you wait, verse 14 says, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight. And I looked at that word effort in the dictionary. <clears throat> and it, see, it, it says it's a rigorous, rigorous, determined attempt at whatever your effort is being put forward to a rigorous, determined attempt. Now, it's not something that's going to happen by osmosis, right, or something like that. It requires a rigorous, determined effort. In verse 11, it's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. Holy conduct 
and godliness. So, so, verse 14, we can be without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. So that's a constant monitoring of ourselves as Christians, our conduct, our personal holiness, our godliness as we move through this world day to day, hopefully impacting other people. So waiting means doing, waiting means doing. It's not just waiting on to be waiting, right? Y'all remember the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25? Now a parable is a story, right? It's a story comparing life now to what the kingdom of God is gonna be like, right? It's a talent or a, a, a parable here that Jesus told, it's a parable of a man leaving on a journey. He says he's going to a far country. He has three servants, right? He gives one servant five talents. He gives another servant two talents. And he gives the last servant one talent. And if you know the story, the, the servant with the five and the two talents, they invest their talents. And they double, they double their investment. Well, what did the guy with the one talent do? He buried it. Right? He buried it. He did nothing with it. He did nothing to please his master. He made no effort like the other two did. What happened? What happened? Well, the two that made the effort to please their master were rewarded, and they shared in their master's joy. The other displeased his master. He was thrown into outer darkness. Waiting means doing for the Lord. Listen, the point with that parable is that Jesus rose from the dead after his crucifixion. He did it for you and me. He did it for you and me. He returned to heaven and he's coming back. And when he comes back, there's going to be a reckoning, right? He didn't say when. But he left every believer gifts and talents to be used to his glory and for the good of the people here on earth. That's every believer. If you are a believer, you're not excluded. He gives you those abilities and those talents that you're supposed to use as you're waiting expectantly for our Lord to return. It's a marvelous, marvelous thought. So are you waiting expectantly? Are you alert for the Lord's return? But the big question is, does that motivate you to serve him? Is that a motivator in your life? Waiting on our Lord is an active state of being. Now, remember last week, Donnie uh, kind of mentioned waiting. <clears throat> this is specifically waiting on our Lord's return. And, and Donnie mentioned waiting on uh, something that's going on in your life. And it's kind of two things, but we still have to wait, right? And we have to serve and we have to do, right? While we're waiting on whatever that is from the Lord. And does that motivate you? It's not a casual or passing thought. It's not a casual or passing thought. And since waiting is doing, let's talk about we're working for the Lord. Now look here. <clears throat> Y'all made it through page one. 
You've made it through page one, and I think most of you are still awake. <laughs> Working. That's a cuss word, right? <laughs> we all have a job, or we will have a job, or we have had a job. And so you don't have to answer out loud, but did you, or do you love your job, or do you tolerate your job? For the paycheck. Do you love your job? Or do you just tolerate it? Because you have to do it to support your family. Mark Twain, we all know Mark Twain, he said a lot of really profound things, right? Here's one. He said, find a job you enjoy doing and you'll never have to work a day in your life. Now, I bet everyone in here, pretty much everyone in here has heard that, right? Find a job you love doing, you'll never have to work a day in your life. Now, I pondered that and I concluded that's just hogwash. <laughs> really. I retired from two careers. The last one I didn't care for too much, and I was ready to go. I was ready to go. And now I work part-time selling guns and ammo. Isn't that cool? <laughs> I get to sell guns and ammo, and, and it's a lot of fun. It's, I do enjoy it. I, I didn't think I was going to work again because I said I'll never work again where I have to be stressed. I, don't, I can't do stress anymore. And, uh, and so this job is fun. It's not too stressful, but there are things I don't care for in that job. I do not like inventory. I don't like messing with it, I don't like doing it, I have to do it, but I don't like also stocking the shelves. That's no fun. And third, perhaps the most aggravating is dealing with difficult people. Dealing, you know, I've had to deal with my fair share of difficult folks. And it's a wonder I kept my religion <clears throat> during that time because it's just hard sometimes. But you know, that's what Christianity is all about. It's dealing with people. So even with a job, even with a job that you enjoy, it often has its downsides and even ministry is challenging. But God has an assignment for every believer. He has an assignment for you. Now, teaching and preaching the Word of God is a joy to me. I won't say it's easy. God has always provided, but I enjoy doing it. It's, it's a passion that He has given me, a desire to do it. And so I, I push myself to do it. It's not, it's not easy. <clears throat> It doesn't come really naturally to me, I don't think, and, and uh, standing up here before y'all, y'all are scary people, and, and it's, it's not, not all that easy. But I do, I do enjoy sharing God's Word. If I couldn't do it, I don't know what I'd do because of the burning desire within me to do it. So there comes a time in all of our lives when we need to self-evaluate, right? 
What are you doing for the Lord? Bigger question is, why are you doing it? What are you doing and why are you doing what you do for the Lord? I think the issue that we face today is that we're just too wrapped up and, and we're too burdened by worldly things. We're just too busy, right? We lack a balance in our lives that allows us to fully commit to God and His will, to even discover maybe what it is that He wants us to do, what He would have us to do in service to Him. Every Christian, I don't care who you are, every Christian should have time set aside for prayer and Bible reading and study, worship, and service to the Lord. Every one of us. So what are you doing for the Lord? What are you doing? If you don't have time for those things, then maybe your priorities are a little bit out of whack. I don't know. I have to push myself, like I said, because you know what? Satan is in the way. <laughs> Satan comes along and he gets in the way. He discourages me. He puts fear within me uh, that if I listen to it, I won't. I wouldn't be up here. I was shaking in my boots out there before this, uh, before this uh, service began. And I'm still nervous right now. <laughs> so Satan's going to get in your way. He's going to come along. He's going to try to discourage you, put fear in you to try to keep you from serving the Lord as he would have you do it. But look, we're in the business, or we're supposed to be, about the business of our Lord. And we need to be serious about it because it's a serious, serious Task ahead of us. James 1.22 says, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Bottom line, doing is working. Doing is working. Then if you, in verse 27, you go down a little bit, James gives us some examples of doing. This is just a couple that I've picked out there's a bunch to do, not necessarily just these. It says in verse 27, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world, caring for the defenseless and the poor and your personal holiness being unstained by the world. That's personal holiness right there, and it goes right along with verse 11 in our text. It's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait. Waiting is doing. Serious business here. Well, that's some work that James gives us to do. You want some more harder work? Let me give you something harder than that. I like uh, verse 26 in the NIV. It says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. No, man, it says a tight rein 
on your tongue. A tight rein. Man, there's a whole sermon right there. I could park it right here and just go on from right there. But listen, if you think you're a good Christian, but you have no self-control over what you say, when you say it, how you say it, you're lying to yourself. You are lying to yourself. That's what the verse says. And look here. I had a note in the margin uh, of my my notes here that said, steel-toed shoes. And what that was to remind me of is, if you get your toe stepped on in here, it ain't me, it's the Word of God. If he steps on your toes, listen to that. Pay attention. Something he wants you to address in your life. And this is really more than just filthy language or gossip and the like. The verse says if you if you consider yourself religious. So this is in the context of religion, right? <clears throat> what it's about, what it's about are these people that go around in their piety bragging about their religion, yet they have no control over their tongue. They have no control over their tongue. They're lying to themselves. They're lying to themselves. How do you avoid it? Oh, and listen, newsflash. What you say on social media is a use of your tongue. That's all I'm going to say about that. How do you avoid it? James 1.19, everyone should be slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger. Man, there have been more church fights, more damaged relationships, more overall cantankerousness. Is that a word? I don't know if it is or not. Because people can't keep their mouth shut. Genuine Christians speak and do in love. Right? We speak and do in love. Regardless of the situation. Regardless of your being attacked. We speak and do in love. That's more holy conduct and godliness as it says in verse 11. I like something that Josh used to say. I really like this quote. It's really wise. He He said, if you can't say something nice, think harder. That's a pretty wise thought, really, if you think about it. If you can't say something nice, think harder. Or keep your mouth shut, right? Just keep your mouth shut. But I need to say, and I need to say it right here, and I need to be real clear that nothing you do, no work that you do for God will gain you favor with Him. Nothing. Not a thing. Isaiah 64, 6. All our righteous deeds are as filthy rags as filthy rags. Look, it should be, it should be our goal and desire to please our Lord. That should be our goal, right? But you cannot impress him. You you cannot impress the Lord. It's not possible. But you can please him. 
We willingly, we eagerly serve the Lord because of what he's done for us, period, full stop. <clears throat> period, full stop. That's why we do what we do. That's our motivation. That's why we do what we do. Why do you do what you do? <clears throat> you really need to be honest with yourself because the easiest person to lie to is yourself. Why do you do what you do for the Lord? Is it for recognition? If you were never recognized for a thing you did, would you still do it? You see, here's the deal. Jesus did all the work on the cross. He did the work. He did the work for us that we could be with him. And for that very reason, we serve the Lord to advance the gospel. How arrogant is it to think that we can add to what Jesus did? You can't. Look, if you learn nothing else, <clears throat> if you learn nothing else, everything that we claim to do for the Lord has to be done with the correct motive and heart. A motive of obedience, a motive of appreciation with a right heart. Why is that important? It's important because God knows your heart. <clears throat> he knows your heart. You cannot fool him. He knows why you do what you do. He knows what's in your heart. Humility and selflessness is what Jesus modeled for us. So are you working on that? Are you working on that? So a couple of concrete ways I've given you to be fulfilling God's will of holiness and godliness in your life. Know your Bible. Know your Bible. Number one, know your Bible. Know its precepts. Know its commands and requirements. So you can work on yourself and your personal holiness to become more Christ-like. That's a lifetime of work in and itself. We all struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin, whether it's lust or <clears throat> our thought life, envy, our speech, anger. We all have issues that we struggle with, but the question is, are you working on that in your life? Are you working on that in your life? It's hard work. We have volunteer positions here in, at Second, and I'll tell you, there's nothing more fulfilling than working with children and youth. And we need your help. Can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. We need help. And I promise you, if you go to leadership, they will plug you in. If you want to go to work for the Lord, it is rewarding. It is rewarding. Adrian Rogers once said, don't just attend your church. Love your church. Serve. Give. Invite. Worship. Evangelize. Join. Engage and participate. Buddy, that covers it all. That covers it all. Then, of course, we have the two greatest commandments, the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Don't get hung up on the understanding of what love is. You know, in our society, we tend to think of this mushy, romantic stuff, but you need to get rid of that right now. Get rid of that because it's not what it means. This is agape love. 
It's selfless. It's sacrificial. It's a genuine care and concern for others. It's the kind of love Jesus modeled for us. One more parable. Do you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? The parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. It's in, in the parable, this expert in the Jewish law was trying to sort of outwit Jesus. He's a lawyer, right? I don't know how lawyers do. Something like this, maybe. I don't know, with their head and their, their nose in the air or something. I don't know how they do it. But he, he said, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question right quick. He told this parable of the Good Samaritan. This man beaten and stripped and left half dead. A priest and a Levite and a Samaritan came along. The priest and the Levite saw him and did everything they could do to avoid him, to get away from him. But we know what the Samaritan did. The Samaritan cared for him. He cared for his wounds. He took him to a place and bandaged him up left him there so he could come back and finish taking care of him. That's sacrificial love. Right? We all know the story. Jesus asked, who do you think was the neighbor? And of course, the Samaritan was. And he said, go and do thou likewise. So the short answer, our neighbor's anyone we happen to encounter. But listen, that's kind of an extreme example, and we're not likely to encounter anybody like that in our lives, but we might. But here's what I think, I think what we need to wrestle with, right, is how in the world did this Samaritan, how in the world did he do that? How was he able to do that? to come upon this guy beaten and half dead, it says, and, and naked. And yet he stopped because of his care and concern for this man. Well, I think I have an answer. Turn over, if, if you have your Bible with you, turn over to Philippians chapter 2. I think it'll be on the screen, Maybe. Philippians chapter 2. I think I know how he was able to do it. Verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather the interests of others. Mm. And then verse 5 says, adopt this same attitude as that of Jesus Christ. That was Jesus' attitude. Consider others as more important than yourselves. Who are we to model? Jesus.
Does that come naturally? No, it doesn't. But it is to be an ingrained way of thinking in the Christian life. Ingrained in us just as waiting for our Lord. It's a way of life for the Christian. Are you working on that? So while waiting expectantly for the return of our Lord, we're to be working and we're to be busy. And then the last point, and everybody said amen. amen. <laughs> the last point, we're to pray. Because Christians are praying people. In all areas of our Christian lives, <clears throat> Jesus is our example to follow, right? Jesus prayed often, and he often prayed for extended periods of time. And Luke chapter 6 tells us that on one, at least one occasion he prayed all night long. But I love, I love what it says in 1 John chapter 5. It says, this is the confidence we have before him if we ask anything according to his will. He hears us. According to his will. Underline that in your Bible. According to his will. That's powerful stuff right there. That we can speak to the God who created us all. And he will hear us. And he will hear us. That's powerful now listen, this next verse, I tried. I tried to leave it out. I tried to not use this verse, but I'm going to use it anyway. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing. What in the world? How do you do that? Is that possible? Pray without ceasing. What does that really mean? Without ceasing means continual. So Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so it's a command that we do that. And I always try to explain it like this. Is God constantly and continually at the front of your thoughts all the time? Is he your go-to person during your day? If we've been raised with Christ, then we seek the things above where Christ is. We set our things on things above, not earthly things. What occupies your thoughts? What occupies your thoughts? What occupied your thoughts during this service today? Where's your mind been? Did you come here with other things on your mind? It's sort of like an addiction, right? <clears throat> but in a good way. To pray without ceasing. Sort of like that. You know, what does a drug addict think about constantly? I gotta have some more drugs, right? I gotta have some more drugs. That's what's on his mind all the time. It should be the same with prayer for the Christian, for that contact with our Lord throughout our day. What prayer absolutely requires is sincerity, though, not just going through the motions. Why? God knows your heart. God knows your heart. So what's the takeaway for us today in this waiting and working and praying? What's, what, are we supposed to, what are we supposed to go away from this place with? 
based upon what the Lord's given us. Well, hopefully the Lord's spoken to you in some way. Do you need to shore up areas of your life that are lacking? Do you need to address that sin in your life? Do you need to step out in faith and begin serving the Lord? Is the Lord calling you to do something and you're reluctant to do it? And so you just haven't. This is the last day of 2023. What does everybody do on the new year? They make New Year's resolutions. So maybe you've got a New Year's resolution today. I don't know. Maybe God has given you something in that regard. I know the Lord's spoken to me. Now, I've lived with this sermon for about a month now, putting it together and developing it and writing it out and writing it out some more, and <clears throat> he's really spoken to me. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul was about to be martyred. He knew it. Tradition says he was beheaded. Yet he says there in chapter 4, I've fought the good fight, he says. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And I praise God that it doesn't end there. It says, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Run the race, y'all. Run the race. While you wait expectantly for the Lord, he is coming back to gather his own. Do you want to be embarrassed when he returns? Or do you want to be able to say, I have run the race? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.